You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, everybody's doing well. I've been busy today. I've been working on client plans, and I'm almost done. I've just got a few more for this season. And actually, I'm going to be working this November on a client. I'm going to be starting again in December and January, and the story starts all over again. So if you're interested in booking me this year, um, I do have openings in the summertime. So, uh, you know, if, if you do want support, please contact me. My schedule will likely be booked up by December for this year. Uh, just so everyone's aware, that's that's typically when I'm done booking for 24 uh, or the year in ahead. So just, just keep that in mind. Um, with that said, we're still in our hunting tactical series. And I want to talk, you know, a little bit different scenario here. Uh, I've got Greg Litzner on the phone. And uh, Greg, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm good. I'm here. Good. So, Greg, I, I don't know if a lot of people know who you are. I certainly know who you are. You've been on a, many podcasts, and um, you're out of the great state of New Jersey, so you're an East Coast person. And, yes. uh, you know, we're not too far, really far from each other. You know, I focused on you because you've hunted, like, salt marshes, and, you know, you don't really hear much about that. I know you hunt other areas in big woods, but yeah. it's kind of an interesting you know, uh, dichotomy of like where you are and the variation and, and kind of vegetation that you're used to kind of going after deer. So I want to hear a little bit about your background. I want to jump into the, the technical hunting with you. All right. Background. So let's see, it turned, uh, 46, uh, over the weekend Been bow hunting since I've been 14, uh, public land guy, uh, was a run and gun hunter before, it was a thing. Um, my father never hunted the same piece in the morning and evening, so I bounced around a lot. Always uh, a climber guy, and climber became a hang-on, became a saddle, and I've just kind of hunted uh, every type of terrain that New Jersey has to offer. We've got mountains, pine barrens, big woods, swamps, salt marshes, so I've got my teeth in uh, a lot of different places chasing whitetails. Yeah. And uh, I learned it the hard way uh, way back when. There wasn't cameras and all that fun stuff. So the lessons learned were through trial and uh, a lot of error. <laughs> you, you know, we're not that far apart in age, and I'm, I'm no different from you. And, and I'll just tell you just quick on me. I remember my dad, my dad was a police officer and my dad had saved his money and bought me my first lone wolf climber. This would be in, I want to say this is, I want to say like late nineties. They had just yeah. come out with the, the tubular climber 
Mm-hmm. And it was like, I remember getting it for Christmas and I was like stoked. And I'm like, yeah. man, this is going to edge me up. Like I'm putting <laughs> away that Summit Viper. I got the Lone Wolf, you know, and I, I just, yeah. I remember getting that stand and feeling like invincible. And then, you know, I think that, you know, I, I again, wasn't in the saddles at that point, any of that stuff. It was the climber. And I had lived and died out of climbers for years. And I think that mobility thing is huge. I think that's probably set you up to be successful. Um, would you say that would be probably one of your key attributes, at least at this point, that's allow you to pick and choose so you don't have too much investment in an area? Is that is that kind of the foundation? Yeah, yeah it's, um, you know, hunt the freshest sign possible. So I was doing that like my father was doing it. I, we were meat hunters, so it's like you would go into you find sign, you sit up, and the goal is to kill deer. So being mobile was super important because, well, the deer are always constantly changing. You know, and 30-plus years ago, there was nowhere near the amount of public. So every piece of public was just, you know, asses to elbows, basically. <laughs> so it's like you had to stay on the move and follow the herd, basically. So now I want to get into your philosophy, and you probably – find this i mean you've you got other things going on in your life right family kids whole nine but you've had to be more efficient with your time because of work and everything yes what, what has allowed you in your world to be uh more effective what are what are the either tactics that you that you employ or the gear that you're using that make you the most effective uh, i would say i mean gear can only take you so far you got the best gear like the best bow whatever if you're not very um in tune with the environment that you're hunting or the deer you're chasing, you know, the, the gear is only going to get you, you know, I call it into the parking lot. You're not going to be in the stadium playing. So I think the finding something that for me is I'm very uh, particular and I'm not a big food guy. It kind of goes against the grain for a lot of people. I, I, I primarily focus on uh, buck beds uh, and doe bedding. And that's pretty much, where I spend most of my time and I've learned that through a lot of, like I said, trial and error and learning from the Dan and faults and Andres and every other, uh, you know, master buck killer that's out that came before me, you know, old miles Keller through my age out there, you know, all <laughs> what those guys were doing. So I found what works for me and like how my brain works. Like I, I'm very good at deciphering clues. Uh, it's probably why I'm, good at my job, like fixing things. I get to, I can kind of see two, three steps ahead where I think a lot of people, um, can struggle with that, but I, I'm proud of, I'm pretty good thinking on the fly and making adjustments, uh, in real time. Yeah. Let's dig into this then. So your thinking ahead piece of it is you're putting this story together. So I want to get into some of the specifics and the clues that you pick up on, you know, when you're kind of entering an area and you could be very specific and, you know, maybe say salt marsh or big woods. Um, yeah. I want you to kind of get into your process of looking at the landscape and then to, trying to diagnose your next move. Uh, for me, I, I try to find where people won't go and you know, it's, the age old you go where people aren't and you'll find deer. So sometimes it's the thickest, nastiest, uh, piece on the property, or it's the furthest walking distance. Um, and, or like I said, with the salt marsh boat distance, you know, so I, once you get away from people, 
or people aren't going, I should say, um, things start to open up. You'll start to see more buck sign. Um, you'll start to see, you know, some beds possibly. And like I said, I don't necessarily focus on food. I primarily look for where is he going to bed because New Jersey is a pretty populated state, hunted pretty hard, and we have a very liberal season. You can kill five bucks with all the seasons. So deer get smart real quick. So I try to look map, uh, or if I don't have like a map and I'm just kind of like free range scouting, I kind of just follow deer sign and, and, and think like a deer, I guess, and, and meander uh, through the woods like a deer would and look for thick cover, uh, bedding cover, security cover. And that's kind of where I start. I, do, I avoid open areas pretty much 90% of the time. I don't even scout open areas. Um, I just, me personally, I don't have much luck hunting them. So I kind of try to scout in places I plan on hunting. I don't do a lot of like uh, random scouting, like walking through the woods, like, hey, I'm going to go walk about. If I'm scouting, it's specifically looking for buck bedding, uh, security cover, things that are going to give deer that little bit of uh, security when they have walking through the woods. You know, and a lot of my setups are the first 45 minutes light and the last 45 minutes of light. So usually that's going to be thick, nasty cover where I think they could be bedded. So, if that makes sense. No, it, it does. And and I wanna I wanna get into two pieces of this because you have a purpose when you walk in the woods, at least yes. the scouting. Your off season is where you're doing your, your homework, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I do. I spend at least one weekend, one day a weekend, not with kids, but I definitely even now I'll spend either five hours on plus on a Sunday or Saturday, and that's pretty much from February all the way to hunting season. I'm almost in the woods every weekend. So there is a, uh, a time investment yeah. um, that a lot of people don't have or don't want to do, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people, right, it's commitment and prioritization, right? I yep. mean, you know, what what do you want your season to look like? Do you want to walk yep. in blind or you want to have some intel? The other piece of this is things change. So moving on the fly, and you brought that up earlier, but getting into these specifics, right, this is the difficulty. You know, a lot of people that probably listen to this, they're landowners, right? So and, and depending on the size of their property, they they may not be as aggressive as you. So your aggressive yes. tactics may be a little bit different than most people. But in that aggressiveness, or even in somebody who has, like, I have a particular deer I'm going to go after. When I'm going after that deer, I may make an aggressive decision based on time and place and knowing what my probability intercept is. And so, you know, I may go after that deer specifically because I have the intel and I need to be aggressive because it's a short window out that I can kill him. So yes. just as an example right there, in your scenario, you know, obviously you've got this I wanted to say competition around you, right? Other hunters, you're picking areas that people are typically aren't, you know, utilizing or considering in some capacity. I'm sure they are generally, but you're trying to fit off the beaten path essentially. And then mm-hmm. when you're trying to diagnose a location specifically, you're, you're kind of using the cover type to dictate that. And so once you get in there, how do you decipher like this is used that what are the clues that say, hey, this is this is likely a scenario that I can play into. I can hunt this because some of those areas are hard to get into hunt. And so yes. I want to know how you pick and choose those areas and how you decipher a deer meets your quota. Um, I'm a big track guy. I do, really, I do run a lot of cameras. 
Um, but like usually once the season rolls around, you know, I don't really check my cameras too often, but for me, it's big tracks and big tracks don't always necessarily equal a big rack, but a big track will always equal a big body. And, you know, that's a win in itself, you know, uh, up a five-year-old deer is most likely going to carry some weight. Four-year-old deer is going to carry some weight, you know, or like a stud three-year-old a year and a half, two and a half. They're not going to carry a lot of weight here in New Jersey. You know, they'll, they'll be all right, but I like big wide tracks and I like finding them when they're by themselves. Cause so I know that's usually them older deer, smaller deer will isolate, you know, even well before the season, sometimes they kind of break off and they, they go and do, they, they catch a whiff of human scent because a lot of people scout now in the summertime and some of these older deer, they just break off and do their own thing. So big tracks. And I look for spots either coming up out of the marsh where the wind will be perfect for him. I mean, and borderline terrible for me. And I try to find that, you know, either like a blowdown or like an island where the trail kind of just gives me that little bit of a turn on the trail just enough so I'm off wind. I can kind of sneak in there, set up on it, and if he goes right or left, you know, deviation from the trail, usually I'm busted. So I'm pretty – my setups are very aggressive almost 90% of the time. How tight are you getting to these deer? What's your proximity, do you think, normally to them? In, in the morning – I'll set up so I can shoot into the bed, so 40 yards and under. And in the evening, I mean, if you're further than 80 yards away, you're pretty much out of the game or you're out of it because they'll just get up that last 30 minutes, mill around, eat, and just kind of slowly make their way out more times than not. They are very calculated risk takers. So you said you yeah. hunt right over buck beds, and this is yes. a strategy I think a lot of people have heard. What makes that work, and what makes that not work? I I tried the whole like I I started that tactic in the mountains. I have I have more success in the mountains than here in the swamp and and the salt marsh because they'll just come through it in the dark, you know. Um, I've had some success doing it in South Jersey, but usually that's a better that's a tactic in like hill country and and mountains. I have more success doing that, but. I tried hunting the shift, hunt low, and then, you know, when the thermal start rising, go up high, and it's just, I'd never seen deer. And I was at a trade show, I was talking to some elk hunters, like guides, outfitters, and I was just, just shooting the shit with them, basically. And I was like, man, just curious, when do you guys get to the top of the mountain? They're like, well, before light. We beat them to the top. And I'm like, what about the thermals? And the, and the guy, like, the outfitter was straight up was like, we don't necessarily care about the thermals. He goes, you're never going to beat an elk to the top of the mountain, you know, uh, unless you beat him to the top of the mountain. So I was, it, got, it got me thinking. I was like, man, don't you worry about spooking him? He goes, no, you know, we, we get there and we let things kind of fall where they may. We have, uh, you know, higher ground's always better than lower ground, you know, in a, a tactical advantage standpoint, I guess. So, I took that guy's information and something my dad told me years ago, you know, he's like, as soon as that sun peaks, crests, you know, the, the skyline, you know, it starts getting light. There's a thermal rise. He goes, it's going to be slight and subtle, but it's still going to rise. And he's like, air molecules weigh nothing. He goes, your milkweed 
It's like an anchor compared to what an air molecule weighs, uh, an air molecule. And I was like, wow, that that's pretty intense. <laughs> but it, like, it got me thinking. It's just all these things kind of lined up. So I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to just start setting up on beds. And first couple times, you know, I, I didn't get it right. But then once I kind of figure out all right, my entry, I think it's going to come in this way. I started killing some deer and I'm like, I still killing some big deer, some old wise deer. So I'm like, man, there's something to this. And then my buddies, I, you know, had some success doing it. And then I talked about it on some podcasts and other people were having the same, uh, seeing what I was seeing, you know, and it just kind of went from there. So I kind of took a little bit of, you know, elk hunters information and like bed hunters and kind of just put it in a, a pot and made my own recipe, if you will. Yeah. And it, it works, it works for me. And a lot of people think I'm crazy, but if I'm driving two hours to hunt the mountains, I got three days to hunt. Well, all three days, all three morning sits, I'm going all in all three evening sits. I'm going all in. So I don't have time to sit back and be like, I'm going to observe. I'm going to do this. I don't have that time. Three days here, maybe four if I'm lucky. Sometimes two. Sometimes just a day, you know? So it's like sitting back and waiting. Just uh, you'll be waiting a long time. All right. I want to get into specifics. So, you know, you're up on this mountain and you're uh, attacking a deer. And when I mean attacking, you know, you're not stabbing it to death, but you're, you're going after it. <laughs> and uh, you're looking you're looking at the terrain feature and you're making a discerning decision surrounding how to approach. Uh, and I'm sure you have history in some of these areas. You've hunted probably these areas multiple times over the years. Yes. Yeah. So you build up some, some historical information. How do you approach those in the right way? Because you said you learned from your setup changes. You must've been doing some tweak there. What, what yes. are you tweaking in the equation to make those function correctly? My, usually it's the entrance. And like I said, I'm, I'm three hours away from some of the spots I hunt in the mountains. So I don't necessarily know where the acorns might be dropping. So I can think, all right, they're going to come low into this bed. Well, if there's no acorns down low, odds of him coming from down low into that bed, in my opinion, just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So he might become from over the top of the ridge, cresting over the ridge, right at daybreak to get into that bed and then like circle, you know, near his bed and, and come into it. Um, I find just as many bucks coming up over the top as I do coming from the bottom. Mm-hmm. I've even had some, like they come directly into the bed. Like I've, I've had mature bucks, just not even Jayhawk, just go right into this bed. So a lot of my tweaking is, all right, how close do I really need to be to that bed? You know, like sometimes like if I got like a rock face or something, I can get right on top of it. I'll get right on top of it. If I have like advantage, so it's like, all right, there's a blow down here. He's going to have to go around this blow down comes from behind me. So there, there's my opportunity. I can get really in close, you know, or it's kind of open. I don't really have any cover behind me. I got to back off a little bit. So once you locate the bed and you're scouting, sit in the bed, you look at it like, all right, he, if it comes down low, here's his line of sight coming into the bed. So for me, tweaking would be, all right, I don't want to be in his direct line of sight if he's coming up. So I kind of want to be off. So he's not seeing me. You know, coming, you, anybody hunts the hill country mountains, if a buck's coming down low 
and he's looking right at you. He feel, feels like he's looking right at you, even though he's not. But he's like, he was like, I can't even move because he's he's walking right towards me. And he's going uphill, so it's not like he's going to deviate looking, you know. So it's like, all right, that's a bad place to be. So I kind of want to be out of his, his line of sight. So, like I said, a lot of my tweaking is uh, visual. I guess, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha- having either something between you know you and the yep. deer at some some elevation, or now what about what about positioning yourself on the other side of the tree so you're not directly in line? Do you do that often? That's that's where the the saddles come into play. <laughs> um, I used to do it with the hang on. Yeah. You know, I, I used to hang on with the tree, and but then you're kind of like standing, you know, pretty much all morning because the mountain bucks, hill country bucks, they'll come into bed from anywhere from seven to nine o'clock in the morning sometimes. And if you're using the tree as cover, you have to be standing the whole time. And that could really be it, uh, exhausting. So that's like I said, the saddle's nice because you're just sitting, I'm leaning and sitting and just watching where that deer might be coming up. Yeah. I think these are all interesting tactics for people to consider. Um, so the saddle piece of it and, and gear doesn't make the man right. And, and we just said yeah. that earlier. Um, in this example, I, I want to know what, what type of gear are you using right now? Uh, Latitude uh, Method 2, and their X-Wing platform. I use uh, two ring of steps to help me get around the tree um, and also to help me for, like, because I'm more of a sitter than a leaner. Yep. So with the ring of steps, I kind of almost, like, straddle a tree, and the steps are on the side at, like, 3 and 9. And I kind of almost sit like a motorcycle. Yep. You're riding like a like a cruiser, so it's it's pretty comfy for me. Yeah. Um, platform, you said you're using the, the what model? The, yeah, the X-wing. Okay. Yep. It's their. Uh, I, I I like it. I don't I don't stand a lot on the platform, so I'm more like I said more of a sitter. So that that stand uh, that platform works really well for me. All right, and uh, sticks and bag. You're, you must be having a, something, you know, uh, you're obviously getting elevated, so you're using some type of sticks. Yeah, they, uh, this year I said Latitude just came out with their uh, carbon sticks, their Speed Series, so I've been using them this year. Uh, but years prior, like I said, I've the 32-inch Lone Wolves, then I cut Lone Wolves down to double steps, then I had the Wild Ed steps, mm-hmm. I had Timber Ninja sticks, which are nice sticks, and now I said I got the Latitude sticks okay and it's all kind of lightning what i'm carrying in the woods so it seems like each progression i make my gear is getting lighter and less moving parts yeah yeah i think that's important for people to think about that are in those mobile stances having you know very light um and and i'll just let everyone know what i i use um so i have a lone wolf custom gear uh 1.0 stand with mini sticks uh, that's my setup, and I've got my, I mean, my own bag system for it, so it mounts and goes. It's pretty light. Uh, I don't remember what it weighs total. I did weigh it last year, uh, but that's pretty much my up-and-go system. I'm not using a climber anymore. I'm kind of into that, but I would like to get back to a climber. Uh, they did come up with a new climber, which I don't know. I might buy one just to – I, I like Climbers. I like gear. It, I love climbers, you, man. Yeah, if you have – if you hunt mature hardwoods – not a lot of, you know, uh, trees getting your way. A climber is the most efficient way to get up and down a tree. Absolutely. You know, but if you're ever in a climber, as we all been in the situations, and you're like, man, this tree would be great. 
he had a chainsaw to cut all the stuff off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I still do that. And uh, this year when I was, um, I, I own a property with a bunch of buddies of mine. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got a pole saw and I go up there and I, mm-hmm. I trim up the trees because I want to yeah. use, I want to use my climber again. You know, it's just, yeah. just been sitting there for the past several years. So, but yeah, like these light setups are fantastic. I just, yeah. you know, it's great to have light gear. I think, the, I think the reason I brought up the gear was because of that lightness factor. If people are mobile and, hunting, and like I've, I've had four knee surgeries. I'm not exactly, you know, a young buck when it comes to uh, my body being a hundred percent. So, you know, I, I keep myself relatively in shape. But a lot, if you're carrying forty to fifty plus pounds every time you go in the woods it'll wear you down by the time, you know, a couple of weeks of that, it could beat you up pretty good. Yeah. And you start making some mistakes, start cutting corners, you know, or you're doing something that's not going to help what you're trying to do. So for me, light is nice. Uh, I, I plan on doing this. Even though I'm busted up, I want to be climbing a tree when I'm sitting. My dad, he's 75, still climbs a tree. So it's like, I want to be able to, uh, you know, do the same thing. 75 years old, still climb a tree, you know, still have the ability to, to move around the woods and, and be mobile. Yeah. I think that's a great goal. I want to, I want to step back to something, Greg, and I want to, I want to go back to, you know, you said you got to be within 80 and that's a number you threw out there and I'm sure it's plus or minus, but you know, that's one of your goals to these beds. What allows you to get in so close to deer and to be quiet? I think a lot of people struggle with, you know, having that cadence of movement to get in there or, you know, what are the, what, what are the things that make you more stealthy in the woods? Just, um, as, as we get older, you're, you're less in a rush. So the ability to slow down, you know, and almost walk like a deer, you know, you get close to, all right, this deer's bed on this Island or in this point, you get within that 150 yard mark, you just slow it down. Almost like you're still hunting, you know, and you're just paying attention. Cause I, I've seen a lot of bucks. I've shot at a lot of bucks. I've killed a few bucks on my way to the stand because they might get up early and move. So you get in that, I get in 150 yard range. I'm almost in like in a kill mode. You know, like I'm ready to, I can mentally, I'm ready to kill at that point. So I kind of slow everything down. I get to the base of the tree. All my stuff's been silence, you know, stealth strip, hockey tape, whatever it might be. So I, I, I practice a lot, moving slow, setting my sticks up slow, you know, and uh, just doing everything at a reduced speed and super efficient with your movements. Set a stick, let the woods die down a little bit, you know, jump up on the stick real quiet, you know, try and see if you can see that buck or see anything. All right, you don't see anything, so you put the other stick on. Just really get into, you know, I call it kill mode, you know, be it 150 yards away or, or 80 yards away, just slow it down and practice it. You know, like I'll go out in the, in the dark in my you know, yard here. I got, I got trees, you know, before, like I said, before I had a wife and kids, like I would go out at 12 o'clock at night, you know, with a crappy headlamp and set up my stand, you know, practice, just doing it, just doing it in the dark, doing it without a headlamp, you know, Everything in my pack is in the same spot. Everything in my pockets always the same. You know, very almost like robotish. Yeah, I look at it as almost a meditative movement where you're actually, you know, you're so focused on, 
you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the movement and flow of things that it becomes second nature. So like in these scenarios, you know, here's one of the things I struggle with personally is when I'm setting it up, you know, I have a buckless method and it takes me a second to get everything. And then I got to cinch the, the steps, step down, right? That makes noise. Mm-hmm. That makes noise. Yep. And that's bothered me. So one of the things I'm doing is when I'm, I'm wrapping around that rope or that strap, I'm trying to go as tight as I physically possibly can, you know, yep. and I'm stressing myself out at that point, which, yep. you know, creates uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, lack of calmness in your mind. So, <laughs> you know, so th- there's little things that I've noticed over the years when I'm doing my setups that, that make me less productive. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might be going lighter, but at the same point, that setting of the step can be definitely Im- impactful. Yep. Um, so think about your gear setup and how you can be the the calmest or quietest in both scenarios. All right. Yep. Uh, I want to take you down another road. Yep. So we started diagnosing all these, you know, different areas that we're hunting and, and hunting over buck bedding and getting close to deer. What are the other like real serious tactics that you, you think have been a game changer for you over the past couple of years that, you know, you've killed a couple big bucks. Uh, I remember one you killed either a year or two ago it was, I don't know, maybe in Pennsylvania, uh, yeah. you killed a really nice deer. But what are some of the tactics you're using today that that you feel like are evolutionary or, or, or put you in a situation where you're you're kind of excelling a little bit at a faster rate? What what are the what are some key attributes? You know, I find I find myself relying less on, um, like I said, uh, my mapping software on my phone. You know, I kind of. I've slowed it down a little bit. And uh, when I was operating at my peak, like really like, thinking like a deer, like that was before smartphones. You had old school GPS and you kind of just, you didn't really have anything in your hand walking out. Like you were just out there walking out, like in tune with nature and surroundings. So I've been kind of decompressing from technology on my way out. Cause I kind of know where I want to hunt. I, I, I got the trees marked and, and stuff like that, you know, and I only pull my phone out when I want to, uh, all right, I need to get to my tree and what's Northeast 400 yards. All right. And I've kind of put the phone away and I've tried to immerse myself into a, a more of a predator mindset and less of a tech. I need technology mindset, I guess. And it's really helped my mental game. Uh, I enjoy what I'm doing more. So I seem to put more uh, effort into it. If that makes sense. No, it does. And actually, I, I, I know the mindset I think you're talking about. So that predator mindset, let's try to explore that a little bit because it's a mindset yeah, just, of a killer. What, what does that mean yeah, to you? It's, um, you know, for me, it's if you're on your phone or on a GPS or you got the compass in your hand, like you're not paying attention to what you're doing. You know, I, I fixed industrial equipment, heavy, you know, industrial maintenance for a living. So I have to be aware of what I'm doing pretty much at all times and everyone else at the same time. So I'm, I'm pretty good at that at work. And for me, like it's the same thing in the woods where I'm just in tune with what I'm doing. Like I'm not getting upset. If I see other hunters, I'm not getting upset. If I blow out a deer, I'm looking at what I'm doing, why these hunters are here, how I can use these hunters to my advantage. You know, what sign I'm seeing is it the sign I want to see. If not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going somewhere else and I'm trying to just put myself in a, a, a better mental state where like, uh, like I was saying earlier, I'm ready to kill, you know, 
at a moment's notice. I don't need like, oh, where's my release? Where's like, I am ready to go all the time. You know, it's very, uh, I help some guys that do, that help with trad and they don't use stands and shit like that. Like they're always in the moment. They're not anywhere else, but right there. So for me, like I try to be in the moment and ready to go at that said moment. So I want to tap into something real quick. Cause I think this is something that we, so I talked earlier about flow and I talked mm-hmm. a little bit about like being, I, I guess being in an environmental state, you're, you're vibrating in the environment. So just, yes. just everyone just take this tonally, right? So this is this is the mindset that we're going to try to create. When we're approaching this environment, you're breathing the air, you're visualizing the things that are happening around you, and what you're doing is you're processing everything at a, at a millisecond. And um, the distraction that you're talking about, Greg, you know, the, the superfluous, like, uh, phone that, you know, buzzes and, and uh, d- is distracting, uh, you know, creates this major, major, you know, disconnect between yes. the environment. So I think when you said earlier, thinking like a deer, what you'll notice is when you start to hit these stances, stances of understanding deer movement, how they prefer to move through areas. I mean, this applies totally to how I design properties. I'm thinking about what they're inclined to do most likely. And mm-hmm. when you're flowing through the environment that way, in concert, thinking about how they use terrain features and where they want to end up and why. And like you brought up that good example, there's no food low, you know, they may not approach it from a low to high ground scenario. Yes. Right. So you're, you're thinking as a deer would think. And I think a lot of times we get distracted by that and like, okay, what's my set cone say today? Um, am yes. I in full range today or, or, or what? Right. So I think yes. the apps have some benefit to some degree, but at some point I think that they, they create an analysis paralysis potentially. Yes. Right? I think you and I are trying to get, trying to get away from that and it's a more yes. free mind freestyle kind of environment. And you, you you look at the I look at when I watch the white tail adrenaline videos like how in tune those guys are when I watch that you know like you don't see them a lot of times like they grant they have a cameraman but they're just kind of living in the moment chasing the deer as it's happening in real time so it's like I try to take that and apply it to like October hunting which you know most people don't realize like because October, it's a good time to kill a big buck because they're going betting the food. They're not running, meandering all over, all over the woods. So if, if you're out in the woods, still hunting your way through to and from your stand, if you're like in that moment, I find that you know you're you have a better chance of killing because you're ready to kill. You know you don't need I like I don't need to be in a stand to kill. Like I want to be able to kill when I see that deer. You know, and like I've had a lot of luck hunting in the ground, you know, for the majority of my uh, hunting career. And I see a lot of big bucks when I'm on the ground and it's usually like the windy rainy days. Like, and I'll go out when most people won't. And I see a lot of big deer, but you know, I've, I've killed a few. I've, I've missed a few. I've lost a few, but I'm ready to go. Like I said, more times than not every time I time, every time I step out of the truck for me, it's go time. All right. So we're in October and I think a lot of people are, you know, season's open for most folks and they're out there bow hunting or, you know, whatever, whatever uh, equipment you're using and they're trying to make some decisions. And so I want to get into your decision-making this year on a particular deer that you're going to go after or a strategy that you have this year. And I want you to break down step-by-step your plan of action to kill. So I want you to walk through, I want you to walk through your mindset 
and how you're going to go after a particular deer that you you're hopeful on high high probability of kill. Let's hope. Okay, so like this year is kind of unique. I actually I ran a camera in the swamp uh, in the Pine Barrens, and I kind of threw up just randomly in March. Just got a camera in my bag. I'm like, I'll just put it out. And I went and checked it in July and it was like big bucks everywhere. I was like, whoa. So I kind of scouted that swamp. So I, I dived into that swamp on that rainy day and kind of really set the tone. I was like, all right, this is where I need to be. So I put a few more cameras out and I scouted the perimeter, found some old rubs, marked them up. I love rubs, you know, cause they, they're a good indication of travel directional travel, you know, to and from in and out of an area. So I noticed those three spots where they're coming out of the swamp, rubs going in, coming out relatively in the same area. I'm like, all right, cool. They're probably they're coming and going in three sections of the swamp. So then I started, I went back about 100 yards from the swamp edge, up on the high ground a little bit. I was like, all right, this is where I need to be. I started investing my time, and I got three areas. Um, I feel pretty confident that... I could kill a buck in. So each area I got two of two or three different trees and I ran a few more cameras and I pulled the cameras. We had rain what two weeks ago. We had like four days of straight rain. So I was out and I just logged like six miles, checked all the cameras and a couple more bucks showed up. So now I know they're in the area and they're kind of broken up, but still kind of staying concentrated in this 600 acre swamp. So my plan of attack is I have good wind. Um, I say I have three sets, three uh, possible kill scenarios for every wind but an east. So each time I get one of these, like last week I went in with, uh, which I thought would be a horrible wind. So I kind of backed out really far and come to find out, you know, it was actually a great wind because the thermal pool in the swamp was not what I thought it was going to be. Um, it pulled, but not in the direction that I thought it was going to pull. So I chalked that up uh, to as a plus. So now that wind, which is a northeast, gives me the ability to kind of hunt this point in more areas um, and kind of just work my way around. You know, I like to set my hunting like three days in a row. I hunt one spot, nothing happens. I move a little bit closer and then move a little bit closer. And then usually by then that kind of spot's blown out. Usually they're on me, my ground scent's all over the place. And then I kind of go to the next point and, and do the same thing. And you did mention something earlier I think is critical is you check a lot of your cameras in the rain. And I'm, I'm, yes. I'm assuming you're not using cellular cameras. You're using regular cameras. Correct? Yeah, I, I've, I have a few cell cameras and I use them more times than not for people because um, where I'm hunting, it's, it's, it's kind of remote. And if I got somebody like the trailhead coming in, um, some of these trails, because New Jersey, there's a lot of some hiking trails and whatnot. I don't mind hikers, but if I start seeing, you know, cell cameras blowing up with hunters going back in that spot, usually that spot is it, the deer have changed. So I won't waste my time in that spot and I'll, I kind of make an assumption of where them bucks might move when they're moving. And sometimes, you know, bucks not going to move very far. It might only be, you know, 80 yards over. So I use cell cameras more for people than actually deer, 
which kind of <laughs> goes against uh, the, what a lot of people do, but it allows me to monitor people because if I think I'm the only one in there and there's three other dudes coming from a different way, I don't know this. So I'm, wa- I'm waiting for the perfect wind or a good wind for me to get in there. And it's like, man, I ain't seen nothing. Well, I'll come to find out there's guys been blowing it out. So, uh, a lot of my cameras, believe it or not, I, I get are for people. Yeah. <laughs> I say yeah. Hey, half my cameras are for people. And like I said, and the cell camera gives you up to date. All right, somebody's been in there today. And I don't mind like one guy like walking through, but same dudes going in there every Saturday or every Tuesday after work. That spot's usually beat. And I'll go grab that camera and move it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's always those gamuts of dealing with other people and being smarter than the rest, right? That's, that's yeah, and, and like I said, I I find a lot of because good betting is hard to find in New Jersey sometimes, and and most states because you know there's a lot of private, but a lot of guys will bait in private, and they got their tower stands, and somebody's older bucks, and it's like high ground, but bucks will always bed in the swamp because they get thermal advantage in the morning and the evening, so they're never not going to bed in the swamp. From, from a safety standpoint, you know, they, they might bet up on high ground here and there, but like some of the swamps I hunt, it's all bordered by, by private, but it's high ground. It's ag like hedgerows. So those big bucks, they know like they're not going to be bedding up in that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. but, uh, back to my, uh, you know, my methods is if I know a bucks in the area, like I said, I'll hunt, try to stack, you know, stack them, I guess, in three days in a row. So I get three hunts, you know, the wind is good, get in there, like, all right, nothing's good. And I move on. But as I'm moving on, I'm, I know I'm blowing out that area. My ground scent, like I, I go in and out the same way, try and keep my, my scent stream, my ground scent just to one area. I don't walk aimlessly like, Oh, let me go scout over here. Like I'll scout my way in hunting the same way I've been hunting for three days in a row. It might take me a mile out of my way, but I know I'm just blowing out one small section of that swamp and not the whole thing, you know, cause a buck will deal with a little bit of pressure. He'll just shift a little bit. Does will shift a little bit, you know, but if you're walking aimlessly scouting for big, you know, looking for big buck sign, I think you, you can do yourself some harm, more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. Absolutely. hundred percent. I did some scouting uh, public land here recently with one of my uh, close friends and, uh, you know, we, I was trying to walk back like you, you I'm, I'm breaking down. Okay. There's going to be bedding here. This is going to be the, the volume of bedding in this area. They're going to pick that spot. Like I can already tell mm-hmm. before I get there. Right. And, yeah. and I get to one spot, I go, there's, there's going to be bedding 75 yards from here in that location. I said, see that tree underneath that tree. So we go over there, there's a <laughs> giant bed. Right. And they're like, Holy I mean, I'm yeah. like, I do this professionally guys. All I do is yeah. like a deer sign and deer beds. And so, and you know, now I'm some deer master. No, I just seen it a thousand times. So, yeah. but I look over and there's a camera staring at me and I'm like, son of a gun. You know, I, yeah. cause I said, okay, you can kill here. I said, well, yeah. you, and actually you can kill early here. I said, you can heal kill early here in a morning set. And so I'm yeah. trying to explain how to get into this area, but I think without the cameras and the camera data, um, you know, the time, the piece of this is time. When are they using those areas? And I think, mm. you know, back in the day, it used to observational hunt, right? And yep. the time you'd have to figure out just visually seeing the deer. Yep. I didn't have the money for cameras. Now that we yeah. have the cameras, we got the time nailed down. It's just figuring out how to get in and out of there to kill. Yes. And uh, and I find, too, like I said, cell cameras are, baiting's legal in New Jersey. So there's a lot of, a lot of baiting. 
and there's a lot of cell cameras and which I can't, I, I don't, I'm not against cell cameras. I'm against that. Some of the methods that people use them for, like, um, if you're time stamping deer to go in there and kill, like, Oh, that buck's coming in. And, uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon and he comes there every three days and you're using that cell camera to kill like that. I'm just personally, I'm not a fan of that, you know, and I'll, I'll never be a fan of that. And I, it's not jealousy or anything. It's just a matter of re- respect for the, the animal. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, but people do some strange stuff or notoriety, <laughs> I well, guess. Well, I can tell you this, you know, I, and somebody, you know, got on me the other day. I, I said, I run 45 cameras a year and I have around 20 cell cameras and I'm not making like my decision to kill a deer. My, the cadence of movement, my, my, my deer are regular and irregular. So, you know, just on my own personal property, you know, this predictive intelligence stuff, right. This analytical piece yeah. of it, some of it's guttural, like some of it's like, I yeah. know a deer is going to be in that area because these wind conditions. And yeah. that is the one thing I've learned the most from, from, you know, some of the imagery that I've taken is, you know, they're using certain areas at certain times for, for a particular purpose. And, yes. you know, wh- whatever that purpose is, you're defining that in your story. And then based on that, you know, the wind condition, I can tell what areas are generally going to use. I don't need cameras at this point yeah. to describe that. The killing yeah. piece of it, you know, I typically have my cameras on the exit, not the entrance. So mm-hmm. I'm not catching them in the entrance. So I can't really use that data to know if they're in that bedding area. So I've actually, yeah. I've played off this where I don't have a camera a camera on the entry. I just have it on the exit. And actually I'm catching at the time I'm killing them. So, yes. you know, I think there's a piece of this where there is a gamemanship piece that I absolutely agree with you. And I think we're taking it to an extreme level. And I'm not saying, you know, cameras i'm not using cameras to my advantage i mean i absolutely am it's a time saver for me yes. personally and and uh you know i think oh, absolutely I think, I think you're in the same same exact boat so you know yeah it's um it's, it's tough because technology like it like delaware you know I, I i hunt delaware quite a bit and they ban trail cameras on all public can't use them at all yeah and but you can use on um, private, you can bait on private and you can use cell cameras on private, but there's no baiting on public or trail cameras on public. So like Delaware kind of, they went harsh on that. Um, <laughs> and cause I, I just put out a bunch of cameras like the day before, I think June 1st was the time you're allowed to put cameras. Well, I, I went out, you know, two days prior and put out a bunch of cameras cause I had free time. And then come to find out they banned cameras. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> So I was like, so it was like, I drove down there like three weeks later and I took the cameras and it was like, I had like two cameras that were just unreal. And Delaware has an early opener. I'm like, my goodness. Yeah. And it was like, and like said, I, I never did get to hunt those spots because you know, the wind was awful. But I was like, man, it would have been nice to run those cameras for like three months and have these bucks coming through and working this scrape over. And I'm like, you know, we're coming in the field. It was like, camera angle was good like everything was money and it's like ah so back to to old school hunting back to observation yep yep yep. and it was in the early season you you find the food you just cut tracks you know like i don't i'll walk field edges and and cut tracks you know and i was on some nice deer you know just uh couldn't get close enough my buddy's seen a couple big ones and we hunted for a couple days but just the amount of people in that area was just astronomical man it was just crazy um, because 
it went, like you said, old school. So people couldn't run the camera. So there was a lot of driving around glassing, like old school style. Like there was a lot of people glassing the day before the season. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of people on the side of the road looking, all looking at the bean fields, you know? <laughs> but um, technology, it, it's, it's nice. Um, and like, I'm, I'm not a big data guy personally. Like I don't have spreadsheets because I will drive myself crazy with data. I will, I'll, I can overanalyze everything and it'll be death by data. I'll be so skitzed out by all the numbers, pictures and, and the wind, the moon, the, the pressure. It feels like it, it takes my, um, my senses away. Yeah. Like I want to keep myself sharp, you know, and like that, keep that. I don't want to lose that woodsmanship because it's, it's hard to get back once something is gone. You know, it's like, oh, this is easier. So you're like, well, all right, well, it's easier. I don't need to work as hard. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get to that point where I'm always looking for, like, the easy way out, if you would. No, and uh, totally relate to you. A conversation I had with my partner today, we talked this morning, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's got a similar perspective to you, and that's, that's drawn me back into, you know, the early 2000s when I was doing the grind the day grinds and hunting a little bit differently yeah. um, and, and not so data driven. And, you know, this strategic, you know, I'll just, you know, people, and I've said this many times in this podcast, you know, I would try to collectively hunt 10 hours a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. 10 cumulative hours a year. I would want to be killed out by 10 hours. If I hunted over 10 hours, I failed. So my objective is to work in the off season you know, do as much scouting, habitat development, those type of things. And when it comes to execution, I'm done as early. And, you know, I'm not, a, and, and what that did is it took away the instinctual piece of, you know, my understanding of what actually is happening. Because there's yeah. one thing to scout, there's another thing to see it. And putting the two together, you know, in some cadence, it kind of makes it kind of mean more meaningful. So, yeah. you know, I would, I would suggest for anybody, if you can take a piece out of this discussion that we're having today is, you know, get back to that guttural, you know, we talked about the mindset and flow and thinking about, you know, this predator kind of yeah. prey environment. I think, I think Greg, that's what I'm getting out of this discussion with you and yeah. I, and, and I think that's, I think that's helpful for folks. Yeah. And like, but I, like, you know, before like I said, my daughter was born, I, I was hunting with, you know, Johnny Stewart quite a bit, going out there quite a bit. And it's just, it's tough to get out there now because of the, I mean, it's seven hours away. So it's been last couple of years, it's been rough uh, time-wise to get out there. But Johnny's very, you know, him and I are very similar with our mindset. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to kill, you know, like you can just feel it. You have, you believe, you got to believe it. Like you have to see it. You have to feel it. Like if you go out and get up every morning, like, Oh, here we go again. You've already set yourself up for failure. So it's like you get up and it's like five straight days of getting your butt kicked. I think it's the greatest five days in the world, whether I'm seeing deer or not, because that you have to believe you're going to kill Yeah. mentally. Like you got to know it's going to happen and be ready when it does. You know, like I, I lost that deer before I shot that one and it sucked. It sucks losing a deer. And two days after losing that one, that I shot that one and there was no way that I was not going to kill that deer. Like I, once I got the full draw, that deer's moving around and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, you're dead. Just stop moving. This, well, I, you know how this ends. I know how this ends. It's like, <laughs> so I was like, he's like, he's, he's trying to find this, you know, center of the dough and he's catching whiffs of me. But I'm like, 
dude, just stop for a second. Cause I, I don't like shooting moving deer in the rut. You know, I want him to sit still and like, and the moment he just paused for a second, boom. And it was like gone. And he was like blood. Just, he was dead. Susie the arrow hit him. And it was like, there was yeah. no doubt in my mind, you know, when I seen that deer, that he was going to die. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'll end with this. And I, I think, you know, if you want to add, it's, it's pleasure in the grind. Don't think about those five days. I mean, heck, you could be doing a lot worse things, uh, picking, mm-hmm. picking stone or, you know, working, uh, you know, just think of something that's really a lot more difficult than enjoying the outdoors and yep. take, take pleasure in those days. And, and the other thing you brought up is, is hunt unconventionally. And yep. what I say is utilize days that people don't consider like today. And I'll just, I'll just tell everybody today, it was 82 degrees at my house. Guess what? My shooter showed up at one of my key hunting locations. And, <laughs> and uh, the reason I didn't go is because I'm getting torn up by mosquitoes in our area. I mean, just torn yeah. up and I, I won't run a thermal cell. I mean, I just, I, I, I can't hunt in those conditions. And I just said, yeah. actually, I felt like today was a probability to kill. And something gutturally said, you could kill today. Today's yep. your day if you go killing. And uh, I didn't go after it because I was working on my furnace. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, priorities take take uh, take place. So, Greg, anything you want to end with you, anything motivating or anything that you're thinking or any tactics just, that you want to throw out for people this October? Just, just go out and um, enjoy the moment, man. You know, like let last year be last year. Learn from this year, you know. Uh, don't carry any baggage, any missed deer or, or anything like that. Just go out and enjoy it because uh i mean not to sound morbid but it, it could be your last season sure something could happen you know life changes things happen and you know and you know i had an i had a treason accident years ago so i appreciate every hunting season because i almost lost everything from my accident so i probably think the way i do uh because of that that day you know like i, I almost lost everything and so every season, whether I'm killing or not, is a fantastic season, man. Yeah. Yeah. Way to end on that. I appreciate you, Greg. I appreciate you taking time yeah, with man. me tonight. And, uh, you know, um, we'll talk again soon. And good luck this For sure, season. For sure, right. You too, man. All right. We'll talk soon. See ya. Later. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out Whitetail Landscapes dot com.